Hi, friends. You are listening to the EntreEd Talk podcast, where we feature amazing educators and entrepreneurs showcasing how you can bring entrepreneurship into the classroom. We believe entrepreneurship is for everyone. I am your host, Toy Hirschman, and I am so glad you chose to join me on this journey. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the EntreEd Talk podcast. I am so excited today to interview my new friend, Roger Kassebaum. Roger successfully designed and implemented transformative educational initiatives in public and private schools in the United States and Singapore. He was the lead curriculum designer for NASA's KidSat and the CASDE initiatives. And he is co-founder of Founders Bootcamp, the world's largest startup program for teenagers. You know we're going to talk about that one. Roger is recognized as a Millikan National Educator and has won presidential awards for excellence in mathematics and science teaching. He utilizes best practices in listening, problem solving, and strategic planning to provide his clients a balanced approach for addressing the quantitative and qualitative aspects of education and business development. His clients are individuals and small to mid-sized companies seeking transformational change by leveraging new technology or processes to solve problems with significant financial, environmental, or social impact. Roger was also instrumental in raising and designing a $7 million initiative to build a high school fab lab in Los Angeles. His company, Founders Bootcamp, has a number of teenagers that have companies valued at over a million dollars. 24 of his students acquired patents or provisional patents in high school since 2004, and 26 students have been published in scientific journals during the same period. Wow, Roger, that is really incredible, and welcome, welcome to you. I'm so excited to have you today. Good to be here. (laughs) This is going to be so much fun. We, we, We have... You know, we bridge the gap of, you know, we run, do all kinds of different podcasts on with entrepreneurs and educators, and you just have everything in one awesome package. So this is very exciting. So before I dive into all of my questions, there are so many things I want to talk to you about. First, can you share with our audience your journey and how you got to where you are today? All right, great. And and thanks for the opportunity. This is, uh, this is fun. So Okay, growing up uh, when I was young, born and raised on a small farm in Nebraska, and um, we were we were uh, we were poor. We didn't have running water in the house. Um, life was kind of kind of tough. But as I went through life, it was like, what's the difference? Why am I poor? Why are others uh, uh, better off? Why don't I have things when they have things? And and the answer, somewhere around eleven years old, I think I was saying the answer is education. It's what people know that I don't know. And what I need to do is learn those things. And so um, I took school fairly seriously. I really wanted to learn because I wanted to improve my situation. So um, through that, um, I ended up, you know, going, graduated from high school. High school was pretty easy for me. I didn't really like it, but it was fairly easy. But then I'm like, what do I do with my life? And um, I thought, well, One of the things I really like to do is go fast. I like to race cars and things. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll go to the military. Maybe I'll go into uh, like fly jets. That would be cool. Or maybe I will, um, um, you know, work for NASA or something like that. That would be really cool. And so I got to watch the, um, uh, you know, Buzz Aldrin and um, Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. And I thought, that would be cool. And so kind of got interested in that and um, ended up um, graduating and 
becoming a teacher. I was going to be an engineer. I was going to go into, you know, something like that. But they just laid off all the space program people after the moonshot. And there were no jobs. There was no engineering jobs. And so I thought, well, I'll drop into to teaching um, because I can get my half my loan paid for if I, I do do that. And uh, so I ended up, they would cancel like 10% of my um, um, student loan for five years. Uh, went through that. But then uh, in, as I was teaching in the 1980s, uh, a program called out called Teacher in Space. So I applied for Krista McAuliffe's um, Teacher in Space program and um, did not get it. I got disqualified because I had to have five years of continuous years of teaching. So I got disqualified. But then later, I, um, there was a program that came out called NUMAST, uh, NASA Educational Workshop for Math and Science Teachers. And so I applied to that, and I was one of um, 24 teachers that got to go to Johnson Space Center. So we got to tour around there for two weeks and, and learn how do you use aerospace uh, in your classroom. And, and incredible. So had that experience, came back, and within about uh, – four or five months, got a call from him and said, would you like to be the coordinator of the program? And I go, sure, I feel kind of unqualified for that, but uh, sure, oh, we'll help you out. And so I uh, ended up going back and um, uh, being the coordinator of it. And then uh, they kept asking me back. So I did that for actually uh, 11 years. I was either new mass, NASA educational workshop for math and science teachers for secondary, and they had a NASA educational workshop for elementary school teachers, New West. So I was working with high school kids and unit uh, um, and or high school teachers and elementary teachers. But while I was there, um, another thing I did a lot in, in terms of technology, I, I really got into um, RS-232 ports, serial ports on computers that can control things. And they had um, video laser discs at NASA that you could you know, 55,000 individual frames and you could press a button on a computer and go to any frame, you know, and, and instantly. And at the time, all we had was VCRs. And if you're trying to use video in, in class, you had to like rewind, pause, middle. And so with a computer, I was, I was doing that. So I kind of got into that. And then um, Rockwell Engineering uh, saw my interest and saw what I was doing and said, hey, we've got all this high quality video and imagery of through space, the highest quality cameras and no atmosphere and stuff. How could we do this in education? So I ended up uh, working with them. I was a contractor with, with Rockwell. And so I did the new ass, new ass thing. And then I would hang on and do the, uh, the Rockwell uh, contractor thing. And so I got to know a lot about space imagery and got to meet the astronauts and all the, all the people that were there over that period of time. And um, so one then somebody called from JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, called um, uh, Houston and said, who do you have in education that knows a lot about uh, shuttle Earth photography, et cetera? And so they mentioned me. And that's when Sally Ride and um, uh, Jobia Way were the, the PIs of a program called KidSet. And the idea being is, can we give uh, youth a space trip? In other words, we can't take their body up, but can we take their eyeballs up? Uh, we mounted a digital still camera uh, above the, the shuttle. And students actually designed all of the, uh, uh, the hardware and stuff for it. And then two of my students actually got to go to Mission Control and Johnson Space Center with me. And then um, students from around the, the, the globe would type in through the internet 
coordinates of images they wanted to see. So we had the orbital track. So students in classrooms could actually say, I want a picture of my home or I want to know this environmental area. And so they could target those. And so my two high school girls that were working in mission control would uh, take those image uh, requests and then um, sit through the um, put together by Joe BOA at, at UCSD. And then the, we would send them, uplink them to the shuttle when we had Tigris uh, connectivity. And then when the, the camera would execute the pictures and then my students would download those pictures when we had Tigris again, when we were over water where we couldn't take picture or orbital night, which is every um, 90 minutes for an order. So every 45 minutes or it's orbital day and night, then they would transfer these pictures down and we were putting up the highest resolution space-based imagery on the internet at the time. And so my students got to do that. And then while I was at uh, JPL, Jim Proportional Laboratory in, in uh, Pasadena, um, another program called CASDI, Consortium for the Application of Space Data Education, did the same thing, but instead of just the visible spectrum, we were using the UV and IV and synthetic aperture radar, any kind of space-based imagery, and then making that available for lessons and things as well. So that's kind of the NASA story and how I got to, got down that road. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh my gosh. Like that, and you're on the, that was the forefront of that. That's incredible. And while working at NASA, I got to meet everybody who walked on the moon. And I still have contacts with people. I, I can I call Buzz Aldrin. He calls me and stuff like that. And oh, then, that is so cool. And, but then that's a rich thing to pass on to students, to inspire students. And to me, that's what education needs to be about is, is aspiration. It's like, I want to be like, there used to be a commercial, I want to be like Mike. And that was like Michael Jordan. Yeah. And um, I actually apply that to Michael Milken as well, because the the Milken Educators Group, as, as you know, I became a Milken Educator, and Michael Milken and Lowell Milken are behind that effort. And um, so rather than just being like Mike dunking basketballs and being famous, but that inspires youth. Everybody wants to play basketball because of Michael Jordan, or now people want to play um, uh, soccer because of the women's soccer team. And so I would like to see entrepreneurship come that way, like business acumen. Like Michael Milken is is brilliant when it comes to business and business decisions. He's like, I'd say better than my, uh, Elon Musk. And then people want to be like Elon Musk. But that's what I want to inspire youth to do is get them down that path of if you have a cool idea, if you see something wrong with the world, how can you fix it? And I think people sit around all the time. Uh, two guys will sit down at a bar someplace or something and say, well, somebody should, somebody should. But the problem is we don't know how to act on those somebodies. We should be somebody. But our educational system, I think, needs to be improved in terms of one of my big, big lectures is what's more important. This is my first day of class. Every new, new class of students, I ask them the question, what's more important, what you know or who you know? And <laughs> let them think for a little bit. And most students come up with what I think is the right answer, and it's who you know. But I tell them, you need to know what you know well enough to impress who you know when you're standing in front of them. That's where, that. that's where opportunity starts. And so I kind of use that as a, as a basis for a lot of things. It says, you're going to take my course, and you're going to learn about physics, and you're going to learn about stuff. And most of education is based on what you know. 
And I'm going, but we almost ignore the who you know, the soft skills of if you got a great idea, if you got a lot of knowledge, how do you apply? And how do you meet the right people that will invest in you or give you that chance? So I also started then, of course, when I was at the Milken School in Los Angeles called Science Research. And I would take kids, I would just bring them in uh, whenever they, whatever they were interested in. I don't care what area it's interested in, whether it's in science or business or anything, come in and tell me what you're interested in. And then what I would do, I didn't like the term they called me. They called me a hookup artist, but um, <laughs> that has a connotation that I don't like. But from their, their point of view was, I always knew somebody. If they wanted to be a neuroscience, I'd say, well, what kind of neuroscience? What branch of neuroscience? And then I'd say, go to this website and look at look UCLA, look up neuroscience there, what's going on? Whatever they're interested in, I'd give them a task to start researching more about it. And then I said, I'm going to prepare you to actually go to that university and you're going to go walk into the head of the department and we're going to, you're going to try to get yourself to be an intern there in your sophomore year in high school. And so it's experiential learning. You know, the best way to learn something is to do it. In some ways, I think education is about if you want to learn to ride a bicycle, we're going to show you pictures of bicycles, we're going to define all the parts of the bicycle, and then we're going to give you the rules of the bicycle and safety for bicycle. And it's like, if you want to ride a bicycle, get on a bicycle. And so if you want to learn anything, go do it. And the same thing I think is I, I, like, what do you want to do with your life? What are you excited about when your homework is done? And what, where does your mind go? What do you want to do? Let's start there. Okay. And when you start there, then what are our steps to making that first thing? If you want to be a neuroscientist, why wait for a, like a doctor? I think it's a real shame to have a, um, somebody want to get into medicine and they want to help. They want to be cure cancer because their grandmother died of cancer or something. So they go through all the training, all the spent expense to become a doctor and they don't like it, or they go through college and they don't like it. So whatever you like, let's get started. Let's get started right now. And I think that's what entrepreneurism is like as well. I love youth, that. You youth is so, so um, entrepreneurial to start with. They, you know, they, they're, they're curious. And that's, what, that's when you want to uh, launch them and get them started down the path they want to go. I love that you said that we that you're singing to the choir with entre ed because we that's exactly what we advocate for because we think that you know a lot of times this traditional education system even today even in 2022 kind of takes that curious out of them doesn't it, it just sucks it right out <laughs> but it's not the teacher's fault I think no, everybody that, that goes fault. into education as a teacher wants to do good. They really want to help people and they see the value. If you can correct problems and give people the right start, um, that's so necessary. Because if you don't learn what you need to learn or the skills that you need to learn when you're young, it's very hard once you start having children, getting house debts and I mean, uh, for a home. And it's, it's like, let's, well, entrepreneur, it's like, fail early and fail often. My goal is I'd love to have kids fail out of, in two companies before they graduate high school. Because if you knew what it took to fail, what, why things failed, and you knew that before you started adult life, I'd love to redo my life having started and failed at two companies before I graduated high school. So. 
You and me both. I liked your story about the guys sitting in the bar going, oh, somebody should fix that or somebody should do come up with a something, you yeah. know? And we, you see that all the time and you hear those stories and, and you hear people like say, oh man, I had this great idea 20 years ago and now somebody just invented it or something. Cool my idea, you know? It's yeah, just like, cool my idea. <laughs> you know, ideas, ideas are great, but ideas that you don't execute don't really, they're nothing. So yeah, if it was a great idea, It'll probably be done. The question is, is it going to be done by you? And I think that's one of the places our school system, I'll say, needs improvement. I don't want to come across as this, you know, uh, criticizing school systems, particularly the, the teachers that are in school systems. But sometimes they're stuck into that system. Yeah. And um, that's what I'm trying to say is, you know, stay in the system, work with the school, get the best education you have. But what I want to do is, you know, find a location like a plus factor, someplace you can go to find the missing parts. If your school doesn't offer uh, Chinese, I want to be sort of the uh, educational Amazon. It's the, uh, the, the marketplace of where can I go to get what I need for what I want to do. But so many schools are limited by the size and by the talent that they have. And so... Online education is bad. We went through and it was like a horrible experience for a lot of people, but also online education done properly under the right circumstances. To me, it's almost like salt. You want to salt your food, but if you oversalt it, you can't even eat it anymore. And I think uh, online education has sometimes you're eating half salt. You can't stand to eat it, (laughs) but but it's good where you need it. It was a rough, you know, it was a rough experience because... You, teachers didn't have an opportunity to get comfortable with anything, right? It was just the switch just flipped and now everyone's online and everyone's just, you know, they're working with technology they may have not used before. And even if they used it, they didn't use it in that capacity. And so it was, it was a struggle, but I, I agree with you that there's, there's a lot of things that you can do online when it's done properly when when every party has the right equipment when every party knows the rules of engagement that that's that makes a huge difference I um I love that you said about about this idea of like experiential learning and and learning by doing I my, my favorite thing to say is you can't learn how to swim in a library <laughs> but I love that because we you know we talk about you know, if, if, like you said, if you, if you had two, if you had failed at two businesses before you finished high school, how that would have fundamentally changed the trajectory of your life. And I agree with that because I, just that experience of trying to build a company, going through that process, dealing with challenges. And even if you don't fail, but dealing with the challenges and the barriers and having to pivot, all of those things are life skills, whether you become an entrepreneur or not. And then later, if you have that experience, if you fail at two businesses before you finish high school and later you're sitting in a bar and like somebody should come up with a solution, you actually have some experience doing that. So you yeah. know that it's possible. Whereas, you know, I didn't have any kind of entrepreneurship or even an opportunity to, to have entrepreneurship when I went through school. So it's it, that would have been so eye opening to me. If you think about, you asked me about my life experience and where I got where I was at. Well, again, I was born and raised on a farm. I still operate that farm. I own that farm now. It's a small farm, but I still operate it. And I do um, soybeans and corn. And one of the things that um, I think it was Einstein said something about one of the problems is the failure to understand the exponential because the exponential works for you or against you. 
And that's one of the things that like wealthy people have is they've got, you got two things that you can uh, uh, spend and that's your time and your money. And there's two ways to make money. That's make money with money or make money with your labor, et cetera. And it seems like that's sort of the difference between rich and poor as I looked at that is if, because somebody rich has money working for them all day long, all night long, they're making money all the time. But the, the, the laborer only gets paid a certain amount for a certain time and, and they get old. And if that was one of the difference to me between rich and poor. But as a farmer, you know, you think about it, the exponential, you plant one kernel of corn and from that one kernel, you get approximately a thousand back. And if you nurture that corn and give it the right amount of water and give it the right amount of fertilizer, then it's like a, a thousand X of what you started with. I think education is like that. Each kernel of corn is like a student. <laughs> and if you can uh, really nurture that corn, you get a thousand X return. But when the nutrition isn't there, if the water isn't there and the fertilizer isn't there and the right thing isn't there, then your corn yield goes way down. And that's where I look at, you know, youth again. If we can get at youth and get this entrepreneurial mindset and get that self-confidence to, to in them that says, you know, if there's a problem, I can become the solution. Now on a farm, you're out there as a 10, 12 year old kid. I'm out there slavering in the sun and trying to fight weeds and, and cultivate and plant and stuff. And the tractor breaks, you're, down, you're out there alone at 12 years old, figure out how to fix the tractor, figure out how to fix the, the machine that broke. And so there's constant things in front of you that you have to like learn by doing and how to solve problems. And that's what I think education needs to be a lot more like. We need to let them, let things fail, let companies fail in front of them, things to fail in front of them, and then it's not you know, help, you know, I, it's broken, please fix it for me. Or this is bad, you need to fix it. It's like, fix it, you know? That's what entrepreneurship is really like. You said, recognize a problem. If you have the skill set, you may not know how to solve it, but if you have the right mentality, the right attitude, you figure it out. And that's what I think education needs to be an experience rather than a transaction. So I think most of education is, if you give me some money, I'll give you some content and good luck using them, maybe it'll help you. But education as an experience is, let's you and my buddy, let's go figure out this problem. And if we don't have the right skill sets to do it, let's find somebody else who can help us. And let's go figure this thing out. And I think young people actually are born that way. And we need to start nurturing that. I totally agree. And I'm, I'm sad for our audience because you had the actual corn. What a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all didn't get to see the actual corn. There's a corny <laughs> demo, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but don't bump. Um, so Roger, tell us about Founders Bootcamp and how that all happened and what it's all about. It sounds amazing. Well, you mentioned earlier, you know, the number of students that had patents and provisional patents on things and the published in scientific journals, et cetera. One of the things that uh, happened during that process is that um, they would get published, they would, they would have a patent, and then come to back to me and it's like, here's my patent and I got published, now what do I do with it? You know, how do I, what do I trade this into for value? You know, maybe it'll get me into a better college or something, but 
but what do I do? And at the same time, I had students come to me saying, um, uh, this science thing, I'm not really into this science thing. I'm really more of a business person. I want to do business. Can we do like business research so we get placed in business opportunities as opposed just to university research labs and stuff? And it was like, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't have much of a background in that. <laughs> so how, you know, how do we get started? But one of my students, his name is Richard DeHaan. Uh, there's, he's a quadruplet. All four of them uh, graduated from MIT. And so Richard grew up in an entrepreneurial environment and his father was a professor in um, economics and entrepreneurship stuff. So he had the background in business and marketing, and he came up that way. He was on a uh, robotics team. We, we competed in uh, FIRST Robotics, and it's a um, six-week competition where you have to start from scratch and build a robot and then compete against the best robots in the world. And when, when he was there, we were just getting started, and it took us probably four weeks just to get a robot that would move out of the six-week period. But there are teams that very good. You're not even a competitor. You're an entrant when we were at that level. But then over time, when he came back after graduating from MIT, uh, we had built this $7 million uh, fab lab and we had CNC routers and mills and lays and we had a team of CAD uh, students that could CAD the, the robot. We went, we go to world championships essentially uh, every year. So when he came back and saw that product, progress and saw the way he went through that that system and what we had now to, to do with it. He just looked at me and he says, there's no no reason why these kids can't start their own companies and do their, you know, all they need is the right training and the right motivation. And so that's when he and I put together um, Founders Bootcamp, which is essentially the science research program, but for business. <laughs> and uh, then we just went through and started that, that whole process. And again, it's education as an experience. It's learn by doing. So the first thing is you ideate and saying, what is this thing? They're too young to be in the bar sitting around and thinking about what, what this <laughs> should do. But we, give them, we give them some soda pop or some chocolate milk or something and uh, have them sit around and decide, you know, what's broken around you? What's broken around your community? What's causing stress to people? How can we make it better? And um, the thing is, if you can come up with an idea that's 15% better than something that's already out there, you have a viable business. And uh, so we have, we start, just start down that path and just start having them ideate and then having some, have them pitch, just like in science research, they had to get up and, and present their research in front of their classmates. Those are the soft skills kinds of things as well. And then they get better and better at that. And it's like peer-to-peer -peer or near peer-to-peer -peer learning. And so one of the problems with education, it's hard to find high quality educators. Every parent, every kid wants to have a really good teacher and it's hard to get enough of those. And so one way to cheat that system is to have one good teacher that's kind of supervising a bunch of students teaching themselves. And the robotics program is a lot like that. I mean, those kids go far beyond what I'm able to teach in terms, I mean, yeah, what I even know in terms of some of the electronics and some of the, the coding and the CAD, and then, but they end up teaching themselves. And I think that's what entrepreneurial education looks like as well, is you've got some task before you, maybe it's the physics program and the physics problems that you have a challenge. 
but you get together as a group and teach each other. And, um, and that, as that, that progressed at the school, it's like other parents would come in and, and, and new kids would, students would come in and to, to go to school there and they would start asking me questions. But it was always a kid standing there and say, well, this is what we do this and this is how we do that. And it was kind of like all I had to do was stand back and let the kids do all the work. And fortunately, I got a lot of the credit for what the kids did. And I learned a lot about technology that I didn't know. And I was getting paid and the kids were teaching me to get smarter. And I thought, this is a good system. <laughs> this figured out <laughs> so was it is it was it part of that of the fab of the fab lab or is it how did how does founders boot camp work in terms of like how if you're a student how do you get involved with it yeah it was originally designed to be part of the fab lab in other words what occurred in that fab lab was uh, I, I took a course through uh, MIT professor Neil Gershenfeld it's the most popular course on the MIT campus called How to Make Almost Anything. And so then you learn how to use the CNC routers, mills, lays, you learn how to make PCB boards and all this high-techy stuff. And I was old, but I graduated from the Fab, Fab Lab in 2016 in Shenzhen, China. And I thought that was pretty darn cool that some old guy like me, but how fast I learned that was just amazing to me. And I'm saying, if that can happen, and then there's this whole network of uh, Fab Labs that are based on that course, and so we started one of those. But again, you can make almost anything in there. So for product development, if you have a physical product, you can make it. And, and, and the skill sets are in that room. The, the things are there. And then we had fiber optics. And one of the, a fourth of the, of the area that we put together was called the international classroom. So we had high-end fiber optics. And we could, I call it an in, import and export of knowledge area. So our students could actually stand there while they were in the research lab, say at UCLA, they could be teaching the class at my high school from the university. So a kid teaching the rest of the class what they're learning in that lab. And same thing, we, we partnered with robotics in, um, in Israel. And so we could like connect with them and, and build together with them. So it became a, a global connective and there's 2000 fab labs around the world. So if there's something you don't know how to do, some code that you don't have or something, you can just uh, digitally place it online, send it to our own students that were at MIT, into the MIT labs there. They could address the code, address the thing, send the solution back to us. So we were working with robotics, you know, previous students that were at MIT helping our students back. And, and it's just an incredible global way of, teaching. So you're not limited by knowledge because you get all the knowledge in the world, all the tech in the world surrounding that area. So that's kind of how that part got started is how can we create um, that kind of environment. And uh, we started with Founders Boot Camp just in that school, just for a few months um, after in second semester and say how many, how many kids would like to start their own business and stuff. So we worked with about maybe 20 kids and started a, a pilot. It worked, went very well. And so that summer we went across Los Angeles and said we had, I think, 15 schools involved. And we picked schools that were really high-end rich kid uh, schools plus uh, very underserved schools, kids from Watts and other areas. Put them all together and uh, spent um, eight weeks in the summer 
And that's when you see the videos and stuff that I, I share with you online. That was kind of the re result of uh, things that happened through that, that, that. And we also then said, well, that worked really well across the city. Okay, can we do this globally? And that's when we put it out, Facebook marketing, and said, here's this competition. And so then when you, if you watch the video again, like the team from Malawi, that's how we got them involved and the kids from Israel and, and so forth and brought them out of together and collaborated with UCLA, uh, Anderson School of Business and said, okay, that model works. Let's go global and let's do this online and let's, um, let's blow this thing up. <laughs> so now we've had competitions in India and China and, and um, Philippines um, and we're expanding and going from there. But again, but it's not a replacement for the high school, you know, curriculum. It's it's supplementary. It's it's because um, a lot of these kids, as they were winning, winning awards, we won the high school first high school division of the X Prize, and I still remember the, the trophy back there. Uh, but it's like now, what do we do with it? Okay, here we won. Now what? And that's that was where we were stuck. And then the, the entrepreneurial stuff is okay. You won. How do you make that idea? How do you take it to fruition? How, these, these, you win these student competitions. There's a lot, I used to be a hound for those, find all the science competitions, get the kids in them. They pad their resumes with them to try to get into good schools and then they get good PR and blah, blah, blah. But what, it's like a, it's like a scavenger hunt here. What do I do with what I've done? And that's where we needed that to do. Sort of science research became uh, business research and uh, entrepreneurism. Well, it all kind of comes together, though, because, you know, science leads into innovation and so, and then that becomes so it's all we, we always talk about STEM a lot and how STEM entrepreneurship is just the next question after STEM. So yeah. I've done this thing. Now what? The, that's where the entrepreneurship comes in. Yeah, the STEM is sort of the what you know again. So it's good. You're equipped for the world. You've got some coding abilities. You've got some uh, whatever, you know, STEM kind of skill sets you have. But what do you do with it? And that's where I'm saying, well, start trying to do something with it with some good adult guidance while you're still a teenager anyway. Um, and now there's competitions I can I, I, I can send kids to too. Depends, again, I'm the hookup artist. So if you're interested in something, I can find a competition. I can find a way to get you funded. If, if you do these things, you're going to get this, you're gonna to get to that next level. And so I'm, what I'm trying to do is sort of become the, the Amazon of education, an educational marketplace, which goes back, I guess I'm still a hookup artist trying to hook people up with. We can't get, we can't get away from that title. Yeah, can't <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I get some interesting, you know, emails from time to time with, that, with your title like that. But um, so at one point I read that you're, you're able to give away a sizable amount of money to some startups for teenagers. How does that work and where does that come from? I'm sure. Well, what my co-founder and I put a bunch of our own skin in the game. So originally a bunch of it was our money. And uh, then we also founded, found some, you know, philanthropic sources and found some people that had our same beliefs to make it happen. So we put some of that money uh, together. Now, when we were giving away 50,000, uh, we didn't have to give away 50000 to everyone because it was contingent, very much like Silicon Valley stuff is. If you hit these KPIs, key performance indicators, so as you, if you get do this, we're going to give you this much more money. 
And if you take that money and do that, we're going to give you the, the, you know, more of the money. And so that's kind of where we start. And, and that's kind of the way it operates is, um, and a lot of times I'm using kind of a, a Rockefeller model now, use other people's money. So get them uh, involved in some challenge that philanthropic sources have uh, will give the funding to, and then nurture the kids through it free, nurture them, help them, get them through till they win this competition. But now that they won the competition and they won $5,000 or $10,000 or whatever the competition is, it's like, okay, what are you gonna do with it? You're gonna go blow it on whatever, or are you gonna use it to what you said you were gonna use it for and do your marketing and do your, your beta test, do your, your next thing. So as they start going down that, that path and they start meeting those KPIs, then anybody's foolish not to invest in them. If they start making it, so we'll invest in them and then we'll start um, uh, sharing their, their mark in marketing and helping them get it so that more people get money in them. So they start building a model where we actually end up with um, uh, equity in, in the company as it goes on. But we don't demand equity early. Let's get them started. And I think philanthropic money ought to be the money that actually supports them to start them down the path. But once they meet it, and, and some people are... Some people are going to achieve different rates. You mean you're going to fail at your first company? Well, who wants to invest in the failed company? But I want to invest in them after they failed and they're still coming back because now they have a better chance. And if you look at what the rate of failure of companies are, what, 90-some percent of companies fail. But that's the first time. The second time, the percentages are better. The third time they're good. So again, like I said, if you can fail at two companies, okay. I'm very interested in you. If you're still coming back after two, you're probably going to make it on your third. So. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's like a you kind of do like a seed, like the series rounds for yeah, for <laughs> yeah. And we're kind of playing with it early, and not everybody's is 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 designed to be an entrepreneur. No, not everybody's going to be a CEO or. Um, yeah you know, COO, they're, they're, not everybody is, is cut out for that. But I think almost everybody is cut out to be part of a successful company. So in other words, if you just want to do marketing, if you have good art skills and, and such, great. If you have great communication skills, a company needs you someplace. So I think it's good to, you know, no matter what your skill sets are, hang around the entrepreneurial community because, you can make them a lot of money and you can make a lot of money by being part of them. <laughs> so love that. It's really, we, we talk a lot about this students. Like we, we love to also expose students to experiential entrepreneurship and, and some of them find out, you know, it's almost as important to find out that you don't want to be an entrepreneur or then then find out if you do want to be an entrepreneur because that's a really important and, and the mindsets and the the skills that you build are valuable no matter what you end up doing. Yeah. And so we find that to be um, like that's our that's our mission is to just, you know, we're not that concerned. We want to see more entrepreneurs, but we're not that concerned in terms of whether you do actually take a company and start, you know, have a startup, but we want you to build those skills so that when you're faced with a challenge, when you have maybe 40 years from the time you get out of high school, you come up with this idea, but you had that exposure way back then. And you, so you do know what to do next. You do know what the steps are. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, I, 
like, you want to make unicorns. Is that our goal? Well, part of Founders Week uh, is to actually make unicorns. Because the more, the more teenagers that are millionaires or multimillionaires, now you're aspirational. You're back to saying, I want to be like that um, uh, women's soccer team. You, you know, I want to, I want to be like that. I want to be like Mike. I want to dunk the ball. I want to uh, throw the football. I want to, I want to be like that. But again, the chances of dunking the basketball and throwing the football in the NFL, it's, it's your chances aren't, aren't good at all in terms of achieving that. But entrepreneurs are better. But if we educated people, gave them the entrepreneurial experience when they're young, we could really change the economy. Now, I'm going to hold up my ear of corn again. People can't see it. <laughs> if you think about that, if, if we educate one kid and they do well, and now we take that kid, that seed, and plant it, and now they can impact a 1,000 people or whatever, like the corn example. So I think as teachers, we really do. The, the, kid, the students that we help, if you, they think about it, it's not just them that, that did well. But their spouse is now going to uh, uh, be able to have a better life as well because they were educated. And their kids are going to have a better life and they're going to get a better educated. So that corn thing goes exponential in education, I think, a lot. But that's what I want to do in, in school is say, let's improve the, um, the soft skills part. Let's start working on that at least during these teenage years. And you can go lower than that. You can certainly go down in the elementary school. Um, one of our huge successes, a uh, student that went to us who actually got $4 million by the time he was eight years old for a nonprofit. And, oh, eight? Uh, and his aspiration <laughs> after going through Founders Boot Camp, he's our exception. We don't necessarily let people in at eight, uh, eight, you know, eight years old. But when he got out of it, he loved it so much that what he wanted to do was start Founders Boot Camp for elementary school. And, oh. uh, so I'm going, cool. <laughs> Uh, but again, you, how exponential is that? So we took one kid, turned him on to that, gave him the, the keys of how do you actually scale, get all the knowledge down. Now he wants to do peer-to-peer -peer learning and teach his peers at his age or a little younger than him his path into getting through that. But it's not hard to see how you change the world um, uh, by doing that. So, and educators do that all the time. And I look at it and I, I got a bunch of Teacher of the Year awards and presidential awards, all that's great. But it's like, who did I really affect? Just sort of the people in my, my realm of influence, which was like my classroom. And that adds up, though, because over the years, I've had thousands of students actually sit in my room. And then you've got this corn effect again of uh, multiplying. Uh, so you've done a lot of good in the world. And teachers, I think, really deserve a lot of credit for, for doing that. But then the entrepreneurial say is, yes, but scale. Okay, I'm only talking to 20 kids at a time. How can I scale this? How can I impact instead of um, 2,000 students in my lifetime? How can I in in impact 20,000, 200,000, 2 million? And I think that's what the online effort and online, you know, it's like Amazon started out and saying, we can do a better, we can sell books and compete with uh, brick and mortar books, uh, uh, bookstores. And I think education is getting to a point like that too. It's like, there's going to be some competition of if we can scale, if we can teach what the valuable stuff that we have, the skill sets that we have, not just in the little 
zip code or whatever it is that we live in, but we can do this globally. And, um, but, and so that looks like, well, online education is the way to go. Well, we've experienced some of that as ready. <laughs> it's going to be a hybrid of some sort. And that's where I think peer-to-peer, -peer, I'm kind of into pod learning. It's like you and I get together. We have some, you're my best friend. And so I talk to about you about my ideas. You talk to me about your ideas. And the two of us, that's what we do is we talk about it. Well, what if we empowered them to actually do something about it? The two of them to get started. And then they get started. And now they find out that you and I, we've got a weakness. We've got something that we want to accomplish, but we don't have the right skill sets. If we're young, I guess we can maybe learn them and figure it out. But maybe we have a friend that has those skill sets. Invite them into the group. And I want, I want you to start conquering the world that way. So you and I are uh, not only business partners now doing our teenage business thing, but we also have to both pass physics. Well, let's figure out how to, how to get that together. Let's hack that and do that. Let's get the smart kid in physics into our group, and then let's start working with them. Let's start working together as teams at a very young age and then scale that. That's kind of my vision of education. <laughs> That would be a beautiful world if we could make that happen globally. And that's, I, I agree with you. It's, it would be, it's, it goes even back to talk about Montessori education and, and that kind of model where it's kind of like that. And, but we sort of gone, we went in a different direction and, and I, I don't know how we get back to that, that type of learning because yeah, I mean, you know, we, like you said, we could teach, everybody if we have this if we have a good hybrid model that we can get the best the best educators and we can get kids to collaborate and I think I think a lot of it's going to go because things are going at lightning speed we're looking at things like the metaverse and all of this this AR and VR and how we can use that those tools in education to bring to bring two three four people together eight-year-olds even from all points of the globe to work on projects and to learn from each other. And that's, I think that we're, I think that we're going to get there. Just, um, mm -hmm. you know, the technology will drive it. And then education sometimes is one of the last industries to, <laughs> to, to pick up, to pick up the new, the new things. But again, that's, it's part of that, the system that we've built around education. So. But teachers are uh, adaptive as well. It's kind of, if you think about it as a teacher, it's tough to keep up with all this. And, and a lot of times, even if you can keep up with the technology, the system itself says, okay, no, you're going to meet for 50 minutes a day. And in that 50 minutes a day, you're going to cover this curriculum and you're going to give these tests on these things. And you're only responsible for these students that are in front of you, not the whole world, not this, this global thing. And so, um, uh, but, but teachers are incredible. And, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at, it's scary sometimes how many teachers are leaving the profession right now as well. It's, it's COVID fatigue uh, for a lot of teachers. But I, I'd, I'd love to figure out a way to take that teaching talent and keep them engaged. If they're dropping out of the teaching profession, I'd love to be able to re-invite them back in to um, this, this more scalable version of it. And um, and I'd like to support it within the school systems, too. School systems are almost going to be forced to change very quickly. Um, but I'd like to have some of these answers out there, some of this peer-to-peer -peer learning and um, you know, pod learning and the idea of a hybrid um, 
global learning method with it still keeps your, because I still think it's going to be groups of, of kids working together, having a place to come together and conquer the world together and do things together, which kind of their current school system does that. But maybe, maybe we need to accelerate that. Yeah, I agree. I like, I'm, I'm on board. And I think that, like you said, schools might be forced to change. The system might be forced to change because people are, people are, are getting, we're getting more and more options and it's easier to vote with your feet these days because of the fact that you, you know, I, right now we, it, in my rural town, there, there aren't different school options. It's just the public school. There, there's, there are not other private schools. There's nothing here, but now that doesn't matter as much because I can go, I could put them online and enroll and take them out if I wanted to take them out of the public school and put them on, you know, on, I don't know how many thousands and thousands, maybe millions of different options out there for parents. And so once the technology gets there, I think, I think you're right. I think it will, it'll start to happen. I'd love to see, I'd love to see that. I'd love for my, my children to be able to be in a collaborative group with kids from China, kids from Hawaii, kids from, you know, all different places and learn about that and learn the, you know, differences and cultures and things and, and uh, work, you know, work on some amazing project and, you know, and that could take them anywhere. It's, it would be incredible. I think we definitely need public education though. I mean, public education is critical, I think, for our, our, our country and our future, the way, the way things work. So I'm not a, um, not anti-public education, but what I want to be able to do is still have choice. I'd still like people to go to be able to go to their own schools, play on their own basketball teams, work with their own, their own friends and work with the lovely human teachers that care about them and, and their nurturing environment in their school. But if there's any gaps, if there's things that are in there, that's where I want to come in and say, that's the part I want to disrupt and say, if you want to learn Chinese and there's no place to learn Chinese, Here's a place. Here's a team that you can put together and do it. If your school doesn't have um, entrepreneurism and there's not opportunities there, well, then here, let's go online. Let's find a team. And it's not just online. It's a group of four or five kids in your community, in your school that are now focusing on getting the resources that a lot of educators don't necessarily have because it's not part of your job to be a teacher to teach entrepreneurism or teach business. It's just not in the system yet. There's a lot of things that aren't in the system, and you should be able to have access to those things. Hence, again, the Amazon of education. <laughs> it's like if you want it, you can order it. You can, um, but not just order it. That's a transaction thing. It's like experience it with your friends in like pod learning. So, yeah. And I think that's where your hybrid will come in, where the, the public schools would have to shift. This is very, very time dependent. Like you said, you've got 50 minutes, like, you know, it's very, it needs to be places where those things can happen, where you can decide, um, even if it's a class, you can decide, I'm going to take this thing where I do this research in an area of interest for me. And I can hook up with other, other students, other places that have those same interests so i think you just that, hook up you said hook up. i know i did i did it on purpose <laughs> but yeah i think that uh that's the, the direction that i hope to go is i i think we need the we need a school system we need a public school system but there has to be more like choice and opportunity in it it shouldn't be 
you're going to get into a good school because you're in this zip code, but you're not going to get a good school or have a good opportunity because you're in this zip code and um, or even this country or whatever. There's, and But just the idea of putting companies together, teens working together that are in different parts of the globe, different religions, different um, races. Um, that's what the world is really like now, too, because sometimes if you're from rural Nebraska, like I am, you're not going to get a lot of diversity of, um, of, of races and you're not going to get lots of diversity of religions or you're just not going to get a lot of diversity. <laughs> and the world is diverse and if we're preparing you for the world. Then we ought to have a, a system that actually uh, doesn't just show you people riding bicycles, but you're riding the bicycles with them. Um, and that's kind of my vision of the of the new way of doing things. And one of the, um, the companies that's not online yet, but I own the domain name now. And it's it's called uh, communivarsity.com. So it's like varsity, but for high school. But it's a community communivarsity.com. And another one I have that is a little that can be like seems a little religious. Doesn't have to be, but it's Kingdom, Y-O-U-versity.com, <laughs> Kingdom University. And yeah. I don't know if this is, kingdom sometimes means religion, but it really means what is your domain? What yeah. are you interested in? And you should be uh, the king of your universe. <laughs> so Kingdom University. So that's, um, but I'm, I'm going to be putting online resources on there so that students can um do those things. I've, I, my other website is uh, rogercassabom.com. And um, that one, again, is a place that it's a hookup artist. It's a hook place to get hooked up with whatever you, you need in the area of education. And, and uh, I'm looking for places to add those, you know, uh, things online. Anybody, well, if they need something, again, think I'm Amazon of uh, education, <laughs> rogercassabom.com. Okay. That's awesome. You answered my you answered my last question. I was going to say, where can folks go to learn more about you? So, so we're we're out of time. So I will um we'll we'll wrap up. But um, is there anything else that you'd like our audience to know or to know about you or any of the amazing things that you're working on? Well, I think yeah, if they want to contact me in some way, if there are organizations, I would really like to find. Uh, philanthropic folks that think this the, the education needs some help. And again, I'm not talking about replacing the educational system, but helping with it and working through some of those those areas. So uh, if there's anybody that wants to do um, like nonprofit stuff or for-profit stuff, um, if there's ways to help young people get through this, uh, young people to um, recover from what they've done through COVID, um, there, there are kids that are getting behind now. If, like, if you teach physics like me, if you don't learn the math, you're not going to do well in physics. And if you send me a kid that doesn't know math, then the first thing I have to do is teach him math to teach him physics. But in the meantime, they graduated and they never got to what they needed in, in physics, which is going to put them behind. And I'd love to have services like this. You know, let let them let students connect with people that actually can teach them and catch them up. And sometimes that costs money and sometimes they don't have the money. And they maybe that's where philanthropic sources want, need to come in and say, 
let's fill the gaps with um, philanthropic money where, where we can to help them. So I wanna work on both the nonprofit side and the for-profit side and uh, make things work. Awesome. So how can they, can they reach out to you at your website at rajocasabom.com? Yeah, it's a little uh, prototypey yet, but by the time this airs, I'll make sure it works right. <laughs> I just realized that rhymed. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Roger, I really appreciate meeting you and having you on our show today. This is great. You, I, I knew it when I read your stuff. Like, you are exactly like you encompass all of the all of the different parts of the areas that that Entre Ed Talk podcast covers. So this has just been wonderful, and I, I love your vision, and I hope that I hope that it happens. I hope that we also because it's also our vision as well in in, in many ways. So I hope that we can all work to make these things. I want to shout out for the Milken National Educators, too, because if you think about that in my lifetime, that really changed what I did, and it really amplified my message. So they identified some talent in me, and then they um, made me a national educator, and a number of uh, Milken National Educators are kind of get the same kind of, you get uh, 25K to get started with the thing, but then your voice becomes um, important as well, so... Um, Shout well, out to them. I'll shout out to them too because I met you because of them. So <laughs> all right. <laughs> shout out all around. Oh, thank you so much, Roger. I again I'm really grateful you were on today and so lovely meeting you. Please don't be a stranger. And I know where I know how to I know how to find you now. So <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. you bet.